This is Artifications. I am Roland Ramos. I wanted to take a quick moment to welcome all our new listeners and to invite everyone to join in the discussions at artifications.us. We have a few ongoing projects. Most importantly is procuring a new sponsor. It is uniquely budget conscious, and that episode sponsor will get a lot for their investment. Visit the website for more details on how you can lend your support to Artifications. And now. I've always loved that sound, yet never really knew what it was. I just remember that awesome movie, The Hunt for Red October, still one of my favorites, first introduced me to what it really was. Reverify or arrange the target. That is the sound of active sonar. Sonar is actually an acronym representing sound and range. Basic physics attest that sound travels much farther in water. So much so that sonar is used by submarines in order to determine its proximity to its surroundings and the shape of submerged objects. The way it works is... Once the sound wave reaches a submerged object, it immediately bounces back to the source with information on things like contours and shapes. The same principles are utilized in sonograms and ultrasounds on our body. Using sounds to create 3D images has been around for a while. In the military, a submarine would use sonar to verify a range to target and then launch a torpedo with a tremendous amount of accuracy. Why are we talking about this? Because today we explore Alexandria, and specifically, it's home for the arts, the much-lauded Torpedo Factory. While Alexandria is similarly named with the Alexandria in Egypt, that may be the extent of their relationship. The original Alexandria was named for Alexander the Great and was founded around 330 BC. It was the home of the Great Library of Alexandria and the legendary Lighthouse of Pharos. Both have disappeared from history. Alexandria, Virginia is similar in that it is also a strategic port town with a dense history. The area was initially set up as a land grant and the first 120 people came to settle in the area in the late 1690s. In 1730, a set of tobacco inspection laws took place in the Virginia territory requiring the construction of large warehouses where tobacco was to be inspected before being loaded into ships. In Fairfax County, the best place for ships to berth close to the shore was located just about where modern Alexandria is now located. A few years later, word came from the governing bodies of the Virginia Territory that a town was to be constructed on the coast of Fairfax County. Based on the findings of the original surveyor, George Washington, yes, that George Washington, the area around the tobacco warehouse was selected as the area for the proposed town. This did not sit well with the owner of that land, a Captain Philip Alexander. He had already named the area Bellhaven, in tribute to the Scots who ran the tobacco business in the area. Captain Philip Alexander rallied against making his property a town, but he finally acquiesced when representatives swayed his vote by promising to name the town after his family. It functioned under the name Bellhaven until incorporated as Alexandria in 1779. In 1791, then-President George Washington designated Alexandria part of Washington, D.C. The original boundaries for Washington, D.C. were that of a perfect diamond straddling both sides of the Potomac, 
Alexandria was located just at the south end of the DC Diamond. Enter the War of 1812. Two years into this conflagration, the British ransacked Alexandria without firing a single shot. They then went on to burn down Washington, D.C. As a result, the city then became a national joke. Later on, Alexandria had become home to the largest slave trading company in the antebellum South. What was then known as the Franklin and Armfield Building was, at its height around the 1830s, operating as a business selling close to 1,000 slaves annually down south to places like Mississippi and Louisiana. The firm and its dismal reign were cut short when the Civil War broke out, and in an ironic twist of fate, the pens used to hold slaves were repurposed to house captured Confederate soldiers. Alexandria continued to grow, and its location on the eastern seaboard so close to Washington made it a strategic hub of activity and was incorporated as a city in 1870. And another ironic twist. The city started construction on a torpedo factory on November 2nd, 1918. The irony, of course, lies in the fact that the day before was Armistice Day, which signaled the end of all military operations to cease World War I. During World War II, of course, the need for weapons increased drastically, which in turn led to a massive increase in the torpedo factory's output. As the war came to a close, the massive building no longer was used to produce torpedoes and instead was used as storage for the Smithsonian Institute. It remained in use by the Smithsonian's till it was purchased by the city of Alexandria in 1969. War should only be declared by the authority of the people whose toils and treasures are to support its burdens instead of the government which is to reap its fruits. James Madison. driving through the town of Alexandria. It's easy to imagine how life was like here in the 1800s. The city itself is set up in a grid pattern, and most of the buildings are brick in the downtown area. Everywhere, star-shaped anchor plates both adorn and fortify these brick structures. Even its verdant alleyways elicit desires to visit Colonial Williamsburg and bask in the glory of three-cornered hats and pewter mugs. south along the banks of the Potomac towards the torpedo factory, I came upon a bustling waterfront area full of restaurants, pedestrian traffic, charter boat launches, and a large picturesque white and yellow steamboat named the Cherry Blossom. Moving towards the entrance, acrobats performed for people as they entered and exited the factory. Now just taking a quick moment and acknowledging my lush surroundings, it was clear that this was an economically enriched area. And the building itself was so beautiful on the outside, adorned with accent colors along the top, it was hard to believe that this place had been used to construct weapons of war. That idea went poof when I came upon my first really big torpedo found in the building's foyer. Entering into the main area of the torpedo factory, you can't help but smile. You're greeted by a large open floor plan flooded with light. Galleries and studios inhabited the perimeter of not one, but two full floors. Access by stairway leads you to yet a third floor, which is a veritable warren of galleries and collectives. It was here that I came to meet. Sure. My name is Abby Allison McLean. I'm the director of the Torpedo Factory Artists Association. 
Uh, actually, we've, we're one of the oldest art centers in the country. Uh, we opened in 1974 for Alexandria's Bicentennial. Um, so we're 43 years old. Uh, this area was really developed around the art center. Uh, Alexandria wasn't really connected to its waterfront at this time. Uh, in the 70s, our founder, Marion Van Landingham, who still has an active studio here, Studio 321, if you want to go check it out. Uh, she was the president of the Art League, who is our educational sort of sister partner. Um, they still have a presence on the first floor and the second floor, uh, as well as an annex up the street where they do most of their classes. Uh, they were looking for a space for some of their artists to work, and they developed this as a temporary project. They said, well, let's go in, uh, we'll clean it up, we'll have some artists work here, it'll be a great project for the Bicentennial, and then the city can do whatever they wanted with it. And through a series of battles and fights, here we are still. <laughs> These battles, Abby alludes to, are ongoing. And my assertion was correct in assuming that this economically enriched, bustling waterfront of an area was intrinsically linked with the growth and prosperity of the Torpedo Factory. There are so many examples of art hubs that coalesce and thrive and then disappear due to gentrification. All the while in Alexandria, an example exists in this facility that has managed to grow part and parcel with its neighborhood and actually make it better. It was then I wondered, how does one frame the contemporary discussion around maintaining an economic balance? So we're in a situation like many, many art centers, similar art centers around the country, uh, in the fact that our building is owned by the city. So the municipality owns our building. This is very common for art centers. So we're always kind of in, we go through a series of cycles with the city of how valuable we are. Um, the city definitely acknowledges that we led the waterfront revitalization. Um, and now we're in another battle with the city about how to figure out where we belong, what this art center should be, what it should offer to the community. Uh, and obviously the art artists are advocating very strongly for an artist-led and artist-governed art center uh, and the city is trying to figure out, is that the best way? And, you know, we want to scream from the top of our lungs, yes, of course it's the best way to have artists leading the arts. Municipalities are traditionally not very good at running arts. They're often very good at enabling, uh, you know, providing funding, providing structure, things like that. And that's exactly what we'd like to have, but not necessarily for the city to control what art, what artists uh, happens in the building. I don't think that's their place. Um, we recently did an economic impact study. It was commissioned by the Artists Association. We got Stephen Fuller, who is a very, very renowned regional economist, to take a look at the economic impact of the art center in Alexandria. Um, and it's almost $36 million of direct spending. Uh, the city benefits from the art center with 47 million total dollars annually uh, from this art center being here for the city. So it's a huge economic impact for the city. For the city, it's just, it's, you know, like one of the biggest tourist draws as well as important to the community members. Um, so we're, we're really happy to have that, but at the same time, it's just something that we have in our kind of toolbox to say like, we can handle this, we can do this, you should let artists make decisions about art, and the city should empower that, the city should uh, you know, champion that, but not try and micromanage it. It's easy to intuit the economic benefits the Torpedo Factory has bought to the area. All three floors of the facility are full of activity, and the art was first rate with many differing styles. And from time to time, you would come across the Aaron Torpedo. 
It was, it was fascinating. I took the opportunity to ask Ms. McLean about the building's rich history and how many artists and collectives it facilitates. I mean, the building is fascinating. It's, it's literally an old torpedo factory. It's not just a fun name we made up. It was the Alexandria Naval Station. A lot of torpedo production, obviously, both naval and aircraft torpedoes. Um, and then it became a site, f after sort of the torpedo production went down, it became a site for holding historic records. So papers that were in the Nuremberg trials were here and all sorts of cool things. Uh, and then it was just, it was, you know, pigeon covered. There's many buildings actually. There was this main building and then a few other satellite buildings around it. One of the things that saved us over the years is that it's too expensive for the city to tear down or it was at a time because it's an old torpedo factory. So it was built to be explosion proof. So you'd knock out the windows, but the foundations would stay intact. And so at one time when the city was like, eh, let's do something else, they're like, oh man, but it's so expensive to tear that building down. Makes it hell for things like Wi-Fi these days, but hey, if it saves us, it saves us. We have 281 members. Uh, we have 130 members who are leaseholding artists who work on site. Uh, and then we have a number of associate members who go through our annual jury process. They're allowed to sublease, they show in our galleries. Um, so we have a total of 281 members uh, and at any given time, about 200 artists on site. With such a large impact on its community, it's easy to see how this converted torpedo factory had become a model for art centers across the country. In fact, it was a number of years ago when I first heard of the torpedo factory as a successful business model. Small world, right? We definitely have a, a visitation from the arts community who's really excited to be here. We have all of the time, hundreds and hundreds of art centers that contact us every year, whether they're getting starting, whether they're getting started, whether they're trying to redo their governance process, uh, who contact us because they know we've been around for a while and we have not closed down where so many art centers, they go through life cycles. It's just an unfortunate fact of the arts. But it, it, it is a mix of people who like come seeking us, you know, the Torpedo Factory pilgrimage of, I've wanted to go to this place forever. I've been running an art center. You inspired me. Or we used to run a conference for uh, art centers who were trying to get started or trying to fix things and whatnot uh, and give our take and give our uh, perspective on how to make things better and share their information. We sold a packet of how to start an art center. Um, so it is really, really well known in the art world, especially for working artist studios. Uh, and we're all open studios too. So that's the thing. We're open to the public. 10 to 6 every single day and until 9 p.m. on Friday or Thursdays. And it's it's not like you just go into your studio and work and you're closed off from the world and it's by appointments only. It's all open all the time. Days like today, you know, Fridays are mid-range. Uh, but Monday through Thursday, people get a lot of work done. On the weekends, the place is slammed and it's all about the visitor and less about making the art. Uh, but that's the trade-off of, of being in such a great space. Uh, and the community of artists, uh, it, it brings in not only people to visit, but different artists who want to come and be, get involved in our community. No. It's no mistake that the Torpedo Factory is a hub. It opened with a bang as part of the city's bicentennial. And the next 25 years, it worked through a myriad of growing pains, including staving off multiple attempts at total demolition and having its presence whittled away until we're left with the colossal structure we see today adoring the Potomac Coast. Throughout its entire history, the Art League has remained a fervent supporter and a tenant of the factory. Their offices are still there, with a full white cube gallery on the first floor. 
I made it a point to stop in and learn what I could about this hollowed place. Sure, I'm Erica Fortwengler and I'm the Director of Communications and Marketing for the Art League in Alexandria. Well, the Art League is actually the founding organization of the Torpedo Factory Art Center. Um, and we remain the largest nonprofit in the building today, over 40 years since its founding, I believe. And the Art League is actually 63 years old. So we've been around for a long time. We're one of the largest visual arts nonprofits in the Mid-Atlantic region. And in the early 70s, um, the president of the Art League, Marion Van Landingham, was looking for a permanent home, was looking for a home for the Art League. Um, she also happened to be a Virginia State delegate. And she came to the city of Alexandria who had acquired the building and pitched turning this into a space for artists. Um, and that became the process and it be eventually became an art center. So that's how the Art League became involved and how the Torpedo Factory became the Torpedo Factory Art Center. Well, we run one of the largest visual arts, fine art schools in the area. We have about 7,000 students a year, um, sort of the size of a university. And anyone can come here to take classes ages 5 to 95. Um, we have classes for kids, any, any level and any fine art medium from painting and drawing to jewelry making to metal working. Um, anyone can come take a class. Um, they're not accredited, so the goal is on personal enrichment rather than a degree. Um, and that's what we're most known for. A lot of people will come here after they've finished, finished school elsewhere to refine their already strong skills because we have so many renowned instructors. Um, that's what we're really known for here. Besides that, our wonderful gallery where we have about 700 artist members who exhibit here. Um, we have juried shows each month where you can see what's coming up in the DC art scene and also our great outreach programming. So we have a lot of stuff going on. We're really a go-to place for the fine arts in DC. We focus more on finding your creative voice um, and really are a community for that. And uh, the gallery downstairs, like I mentioned, um, we have all our shows are juried and they um, switch out monthly. Um, and once you become a member of the Art League, any artist can sign up to become a member. And once you do, you can bring in two works of art each month when we have receiving for our exhibits. And we have an outside juror come in and he or she selects the shows. Usually they're a noted fine art professional in the area, either um, a curator at one of the major museums or a professor at one of the other schools or a gallery owner. We switch it up so we have different perspectives for each show from each from month to month. Um, and he or she selects the shows. So the staff here is completely not biased on what what ends up on the wall. Some months we might have a theme. It might be um, based on medium or narrative. And other months it's just an open exhibit. Artists can submit their best work and there's no restriction in terms of narrative or medium or size. And we also have space for solo exhibits. So we'll have one artist featured each month and that's a separate jurying process that happens two years in advance. There are only a few cities that retain that kind of old world charm on the level of Alexandria. Another ironic twist is that while the Torpedo Factory has contributed much to the prosperity of the area, many people in the community don't fully understand it, as explained by Abby Allison McLean. Definitely, we get we get a large amount of, we have very vocal supporters, we have very, uh, you know, uh, 
excited supporters. We also have people who, like, I feel like they misunderstand us. And there's members of the community who have maybe haven't been here in 10 years and they have an idea. They came in, they're like, eh, not for me. Uh, and they think the city could be getting more money from this building doing other things or doing different artists. And so you have, you have both. People are very misinformed about the reality of what we're doing here. And people say, oh, it's stagnant, never changes. It's the same artists all the time. Well, we do have some of the same artists who have been here for 43 years. And to me, that's a great thing. But also we have 83 studios and 21 of them had new leaseholders last year. Like that's not a stagnant thing. That's continually changing and growing. Uh, that's really cool. We have new members who come in every single year. Um, we're doing better than ever at finding spaces for them to work or finding spaces for them to show. We have a new gallery that was started about two years ago that's dedicated only uh, for artists who don't have spaces here. And a lot of our media-only galleries are the same way. Um, we have artists we want to enable artists of all of all types. We know that professional artists, being a professional artist is kind of a privilege in this world, being able to live off of just your art. Uh, we don't think that that is right. We think that anyone should be able, who wants to be an artist, anyone who is an artist should be able to work as an artist. So that's why we have things like our associate membership and we make it easy for artists to sell, artists to show, artists to go through professional development classes that we offer. Uh, we try and really support the full artist as a professional and not just saying, here's your space, sometimes do things. The easiest way people can find out about the Torpedo Factory is to go to our website. Uh, you can go to torpedofactory.org or torpedofactoryartists.com. We have, we have Instagram, but also just come on down to Alexandria and visit us because it's really, you can't really understand it until you're here. by the unknowing are doing the impossible for the ungrateful. We have done so much for so long with so little. We are now qualified to do anything with nothing. Mother Teresa. That last quote was written above the desk of Torpedo Factory founder Marion Van Landingham in 1974. There's no one way to summarize the total experience of the Torpedo Factory. It was time well spent. Most artists are friendly and willing to talk, but try to keep it to the weekend when artists know to expect visitors. There are so many beautiful things to look at. And if you do plan on going, don't forget your wallet because the pieces on display aren't just stunning, many are affordably priced. The local architecture is reason enough to visit Alexandria, but if you are looking for an art pilgrimage, you wouldn't be alone in making the trek. I recommend two things. Walk to the waterfront and see for yourself the result of a successful symbiosis between art, culture, and community. And secondly, take a look at the book written by the founder of the Torpedo Factory, Marianne Van Landingham, entitled On Target. It documents the first 25 years of the large art experiment called the Torpedo Factory and the seemingly endless back and forth between the city and the factory's administrations. I recommend it because in the life cycle of any arts facility, similar questions are bound to arise. And if you have any interest in Marion Van Landingham, her studio is still there, 40 years later, on the third floor of the Torpedo Factory and ready to receive you. 
special thanks to the Web Tigress for the continued web support on all fronts, and to my brother Jay for all the continual support in improving the quality of these podcasts through adapting better technologies. Thanks to Mark Stenger of the DAS, a.k.a. Mr. Doctor on SoundCloud for this week's music. And special thanks to enamel artist Nan Lapota of the Enamelist Gallery Collective, located on the first floor of the Torpedo Gallery. What an electric interview on the intricacies of enamel painting. It was so insightful, we will be creating a special podcast around it, featured exclusively on Patreon. Here's a snippet. you're setting gemstones you might have a little bit more color but with enamel you can just treat everything like a big coloring book and you got all the crayons with the different colors of enamel so I'm a color person I was really drawn to that I was like I said I was doing metal work and I took uh, a workshop that I knew nothing about with a person I knew nothing about and it it changed my life it was absolutely fabulous um and it turns out the woman was like one of the world's experts in enameling. I had no idea. I'd, I'd never heard of her. So, but um, it literally changed my life because I ended up retiring from my job in the military and using the GI Bill to go back to the school where she taught. And I studied enameling for, and metalwork for four years and also basic art. So that gave me a foundation and uh, a little bit of a launching pad to do um, what I feel like is kind of my life's work now. So. Sounds so fun. Come visit us at artifications.us or drop us a line at connect at artifications.us. Thank you for listening to the Artifications Podcast. I love working with Web Tigress. I mean, I thought I knew it all. That is, until I had a conversation with her and she broke it down into three main parts I won't ever forget. Website design, social media management, and most importantly, content. As a social media Luddite, it's the Tigress approach that helps us and many others communicate effectively with our social media public. I particularly enjoy the ease of communication while discussing such topics as developing your personal brand reach. You can get a great deal just for being a listener of this podcast by visiting webtigress.com slash artifications. Webtigress, your first and last stop for successful web strategies.